Oh, Dave, you look bloody awful. <laughs> Thank you very much. Have you tried any of the following things? A bath? Uh, it's too hot. Uh, some sleep? No, that's not an option. Well, in which case, Ol, can I commend to you some skincare products? Oh, yes, please. Well, let me alert your attention, Ol, to UpCircle Beauty. They are pioneers of what they call byproduct beauty. Do you know what that is? I do not know what that is, Dave. Tell me! Shut up and listen, then. What they do is they take ingredients that have been discarded by other industries and they repurpose them into skincare products. So they take olive stones left behind by the olive oil industry, which they transform into a face mask. Or they take chai spices that have been used for making tea and they make them into aromatic soaps. Or they take coffee grounds, which have been used to make... Coffee? Coffee, that's right, from cafes, and turn them into caffeinated scrubs and brightening serums. Oh, so they're all very, very fab. That does sound fab, and what sounds even fabber is that their packaging is well nice for the planet, Dave. It's all recycled and recyclable, and if you really want to, you can return your packaging to be refilled and sent back to you for a discount, which is pretty bloody nice if you ask me. And it's all vegan, it's all cruelty-free, it's all organic, and there ain't no palm oil in it, nothing. Super duper. Now, if you are a Babbel listener, you are already 15% more beautiful than the general population. So to reward your beauty, you can get 15% off all of these lovely products at upcirclebeauty.com if you enter the code BABBEL, B-A-B-B-L-E. So that's 15% off upcirclebeauty.com. Use the code BABBEL. Welcome to Sustainable 222. It's the double Nelson. Dave, does that mean things are going to go really badly? It's a double what? Double Nelson. What's that? It's a cricket reference. If you're on 111, then you tend to get out. If you're on 222, you tend to get out. It's bad luck. Oh, right. I'll give you bad luck. I'll tell you what's bad luck, Ol. Everything's naused. However, this is Sustainable, and just because everything's naused, doesn't mean we can't have a little chuckle about it. Isn't that right? Oh, yes. And what are we going to be having a chuckle and a think about this week? Fairness day. Ooh, things very being good. Fair or things not being fair, and specifically things being fair when we try to get out of the climate nausing, try to get out of the big mess that we're in and is going to get messier as time progresses because we can do it in a number of different ways and not all of them are fair. And what matters most is what people, as in not me and you, but people, think about it and think is fair and isn't fair. So we're going to talk to somebody who has been involved in an exceptionally interesting and important and profound project. And that person is Dave. Well, it's not It's not Dave. Dave, who is that person? Yeah, that person is not Dave. Well, he is Dave. But anyway, that's Luke Murphy. Luke Murphy is the head of a thing called the Environmental Justice Commission, which was set up by a think tank called the IPPR, where Luke also works as an associate director for environment and other stuff. He says, trying to find notes, let's just say environment and some other stuff. Sure. Um, and the Environmental Justice Commission, you may have seen some stuff in the news about it, has spent a couple of years going round the country and actually asking actual people, like, there's a climate and environment nature crisis going on. What do you think should be done 
about it. And one of the main things that comes out as people are like, well, can we fix that in a way that doesn't screw the poorest, please? And can we like make it seem like it's fair? And we thought that's pretty interesting. So we talked to Luke about that. Yeah, and a lot of what comes through is how interesting and ambitious and radical like people are when they've got all the information. And that is the thing. There is a dearth of information about the reality of climate change and the reality of what is going to need to happen, what is going to happen. Uh, to do stuff about it but when people know what's going on they want good things and we talked about things like free buses people want mm. free buses Not whereas surprised. you know climatey policy people like us are like oh I can't do that it'll be too expensive people will never go for it people do want it so we asked uh, Luke all about things like that just the usual disclaimer we do work for environmental charities don't we all yes but these are very much our own views. So if anything that we say makes you go, that's not fair, and makes you throw your dummy out of the pram and your toys out of the bucket or whatever you do, take it up with me and I'll all loop directly, but not with anyone for whom we work, yes? Yes. And please do not forget that we are a listener-funded podcast. You can be like all the great people who chuck in a few quid a month to contribute to the running costs of this magnificent organ and keep it on the road. Oh, when are you going to spend some babble money on not gaffer-taping things to your microphone, which is what I can see you've done. Never, because it's working absolutely fine. Leave me alone. Very good. I'm a responsible Uh, spender of babble's money. You can go to wobblywobblywobbly.patreon.com slash sustainababble where we will collect your money and sustainably and responsibly spend it. Very, very fairly. Now, quick point of order. Some of the audio in this interview isn't the best. Uh, can't be helped, but there is a little bit of a crickle crackle and a little bit of a at occasions. So forgive us that. Uh, nothing we can do, um, but don't let it detract from the awesomeness of everything Luke is saying. Yes, and we began, well, all began by asking Luke, this was embarrassing, the longest question in the world. All began last Tuesday and ended <laughs> at the end of this question. So when I think about the future, which I try not to do because I'm scared of the future in so many got, ways. Got news for you, while the present's not great either. No, exactly, exactly. That's why I just think about the past, Dave. It's just uh, you know, everything was better in the past. Everything wasn't it? was better in the past. Um, but when I think about the future, uh, uh, the things that scare me most about like climate breakdown and the nature emergency and everything is not so much the the facts and figures of you know what's going to happen to the ice and the flooding and all the rest of it it's what happens to us as as a society and as humanity when if and when we don't respond with fairness as it all breaks down and actually if we don't respond with a much in a much fairer way than we currently do to all of the existing problems because like society is not fair now right and if we if we don't repair that and and act with greater fairness and greater compassion when you know huge numbers of people are forced from their homes when unimaginable natural disasters hit when industries completely shift and break down this is a question is it hang on hang on i'm getting to the question i think so i guess my question is it's, there's two bits to it and i've done the setup and these are the two bits of the question oh, luke i'm so sorry about this the, the two bits are did you get a sense from the jurors that that kind of 
need for fairness is probably the biggest challenge and the most important thing in terms of addressing the climate crisis. And what do you feel about the importance of, of fairness in relation to every other aspect of the climate crisis? And, I, and I'm done now. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for, Luke. Uh, I'll just stop there. Could you? Could we take the next half an hour to reflect? Um, Do you mean like literally you walked out, made a cup of tea and came back and I was still going? Uh, I, well, I walked to Aberdeen and asked them what they thought about your question and then now I'm back. Um, um, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, and that's, it, it was the overwhelming message, I think, and that it would, couldn't have been clearer that fairness is absolutely fundamental. And, I, you know, that was kind of, it was about more, and that it was about more than just climate in the environment. It was about people recognise, and this is where they well to area we're talking about people making links between different areas. They recognise the economy isn't working for them for their local area. They don't feel like they're in control. They don't feel like they have enough power. Um, and I think it's not just about kind of mitigating the unfairnesses that you might that might happen as a result of the of the transition. So just protecting. Uh, or ensuring workers in carbon-intensive industries don't, you know, don't don't lose out. They want to see greater benefits and benefits in their everyday lives if this is going to work, because otherwise it's not going to be a, a otherwise it's not going to be a priority for them. It's not going to be a, a priority for their community. I think they kind of recognise. I think they they, they kind of recognise that. But actually, I thought it was interesting. There were probably was a we don't use this kind of word, but I think there was a sense of solidarity, a sense of community, a sense that actually if we do act together and everyone plays their part and their role, we can we can tackle this. And I think there was, it was actually, I, I came away feeling quite hopeful from every jury, all of us did, like all of the IPPR staff. And, you know, we were all stuck in our rooms on Zoom, you know, in a really stressful time. And actually it was it was great for us because it was really enjoyable and it was really yeah there were difficult conversations but we all came away feeling quite hopeful that if we did it in a fair way we can genuinely tackle these crises on the flip side i agree with you i i guess i'm also quite fearful of like the consequences of of if if if, if we don't take that approach um because I do think the consensus around it will, around action will break down. It's is so important. You can speak to like any person along this beach and they'll know someone or have a family member that works in oil. It's got to be fair to the workers. They need to be taken on board and have a say. You cannot leave anybody behind in this fight for, for climate change. We're gonna have so to tell us a bit more then, who, who are the people you've been working with and, and talking to and listening to? Like, what, Tell us more about about the the commission and and what it is and, and who's involved so yeah so um we ippr set up a cross-party commission kind of two years ago um co-chaired by caroline lucas from the green party hillary ben from labor well the, the initial chair was ed Miliband uh from labor and he stepped back when he got his shadow cabinet role and then laura sands from the conservatives and then we also brought together commissioners all across civil society business that kind of thing um and trade unions uh, and the, the the exam question uh, for the commission was really how do we tackle the climate crisis, climate and nature crises, recognising you know both are equally as important, um, while also addressing economic and social injustice. So that was like the exam question, a bit of a mouthful. Can I just can I ask you a, a quick question before you go any further? Were yeah. the Lib Dems busy, or did you, <laughs> did you decide you didn't need a Lib Dem after all for some reason? Uh, or, could you, or could you not find and, the, and bear the in Lib mind Dem. you're speaking to someone in St Albans here so you know 
<laughs> the, the phone box within which they were all contained at the time was 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 very difficult to get into. So no, can't, excuse me, can't help but notice you appear to have forgotten about us. Would would you like a Lib Dem? To go? Yeah. You, you're, we, you're fine. Okay. Yeah, I think it's not perfect. It's not perfect science, and we kind of. Yeah, three, three. Um, having three political parties and managing managing those interests is is can be tricky uh, enough. But um, I don't, I don't think that means that doesn't mean we haven't or wouldn't or or haven't been engaging with them as a as a political party. I'm just tying myself <laughs> up in knots now, aren't I? I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I, just, I just keep digging. Luke hates Lib Dems official. And like, how do you? What happens when you get three politicians from three different parties and you and you try like they try and run a thing? together like are they do they spend most of the time just going order or withdraw each other or what no i mean i think that there, there is a fact that like the people you know that those that engaged with the commission on the in, in the first place we kind of had a lot of initial discussions about the kind of the terms and how it was going to work and how they were going to work together and actually and i think what was really nice about it was yes they all have a different emphasis and different focus but there was a remarkable alignment between them, and I think the, ultimately the product I think shows that we that we did manage to build quite a well I didn't say I would say this would not but like a remarkable consensus across parties, but also a, a whole range of commissioners. But I think the one uniting thing uh, which kind of ran through the commission and which made it a bit unusual, admittedly for a think tank commission, I think was that we weren't just telling others to like to involve people in policy. They wanted the public to be really involved in the commission and listen to the public. And that's what we did. And actually a lot of the conclusions were drawn from them rather than us sitting in, you know, rooms in Westminster deciding what the idea should be. Well, the party who had an opinion poll done, it seems all the voters are in favour of bringing back national service. Well, I have another opinion poll done showing the voters are against bringing back national service. <laughs> so this, this is going to sound like a joke question and it sort of isn't, but sort of is. Why didn't you get like Jacob Rees-Mogg involved or someone like that? Because like Laura, Laura well, when, when we said we want to hear what the public think, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's that's my version of an everyday, ordinary kind of guy. Uh, no, I mean it's a, it's a serious question because like Laura Sands is like Green Tory, right? And 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 obviously from that wing of the party, kind of too green for the Tories in 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 many ways. Like, but isn't there like this huge? strand of like conservatism that just we somehow need to get engaged in all of this um and arguably they're the people you need in a room not necessarily jacob Rees-Mogg. i mean let's be frank you don't want to be in any room with jacob Rees-Mogg. but you know someone from that more weird wing of the party i'd quite like to go trampolining with jacob Rees-Mogg. i think that'd be fun <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'd probably rather trampoline with him than have him on. <laughs> I mean, I, to be fair, I don't know what uh, his uh, views are on uh, climate. Uh, well, they're uh, a bit up and down. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I, I think we wanted people that, in, in the end, 80% of the public kind of, as we've seen increasingly, care do care about tackling the climate crisis. And I think there was a need to ensure that there was a level of, agreement around the seriousness of the crisis in order for the kind of commission to function but that doesn't mean that we haven't engaged with you know and i think members of the public that we you know just i know that isn't the kind of 
the people you're talking about that are in Westminster that, that are in are in government, but we had a people of right with a range of climate scepticism. So we you know that was one of the markers. So we weren't just talking to ourselves, we were going out and talking to people with a range of views. So where did you go? Where what what people did you listen to? Was there like must ask someone Welsh, must ask someone from Scotland? Um and how did you pick them? Um, so I think one key thing, we didn't want to repeat what other people had done. So we know that, we, you know, there'd been a really good body of work in the terms of uh, the National Climate Assembly. So one of the things yeah. we wanted to do was look at, OK, particular areas that were going to be hit differently um, and in particular ways by the by the transition uh, and the climate crisis itself. So we went to Aberdeenshire, so, you know, home of the oil and gas industry, went to South Wales Valleys, which has been the victim of a pretty poor transition, um, to put it uh, lightly. Um, oh, you mean like when the coal mines were all shut down and people were told to sodding well like Exactly. And no support put in place. And, you know, I think, you know, we're seeing the scars in terms of employment and economy um, ever since. Um so we went there as well. We went to Thurrock, which is quite an interesting place. It sits outside London, voted very heavily for Brexit, um, uh, but also sits on the river, has a lot of commuting um, into London and also has a, an awful lot of planned housing there. It's kind of a big housing growth area. So um, has its own different issues as well. And then the last place was Tees Valley in County Durham, which has a lot of carbon intensive industries. So the emissions there three times higher than the national average. But there's also lots of opportunity and the government has obviously identified that. So there's risk and opportunity there. Um, and then in terms of how we selected them, random kind of we you send out, we work with Sortition. It's an organisation that works on a lot of these kind of processes, send out four and a half thousand letters in each area, get the responses back. Um, oh, wow. So you just kind of punted it to random. You were just like, hey, do you want to come on this thing? Yeah. So you think, and, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Well, no, 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 it's cool. I'm just, and then people go, yeah, I'd like to, but I think climate change is all made up and you're still happy to listen to them or what? Yeah, so we, we kind of, we made sure it's, we, we get the people back and they're, we're there kind of, they're then we work with sortition who then make sure that we have a, some people that are demographically represented by age, education, etc. And then we used a, uh, a national um, proxy for climate scepticism, basically. So so it would have been some people who were apathetic, some people who were more sceptical, sceptical, and then some people who were like really bought into the need for change. So it was a real mix. It was a real mix of people involved. So what did you learn? Like, it must have been incredible. It sounds really, really fascinating. Like what? Aberdeen is a really long way away. I bet you learned that. Not from places near Aberdeen, I yeah, just exactly. That's a very parochial comment. A long way from you <laughs> yeah. now. Um, so, so a lot of things seem a long way away from me. <laughs> but yeah, well, I mean, what did you learn about, about the people who were involved, about what it says about the country, about you know Great Britain, about the different uh, nationalities involved, and about like, what, what did you learn about our chances of doing anything meaningful to get ourselves out of this hole um what did we learn i mean i mean one thing it was like is it's bloody hard to hold these juries in the middle of a pandemic so we originally we obviously we envisaged going to Aberdeenshire and holding them in person um so we didn't actually find out until much later quite how far Aberdeenshire was from where we were because we held everything on zoom um uh so we did so we held every single one online um 
I mean, to be honest, that was interesting. What was really nice about it actually was there were genuinely people who had never been involved in anything like this before. Um, you know, probably some people who don't uh, don't vote and have just never been, never even thought about it. But I think we probably got them engaged partly because they were like, oh, "Well, I'm not up to much in the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> There's not really much Pops going. Shot. Exactly, yeah. not really much going on. So, in a weird kind of way, it kind of it, we might have benefited and got some people that weren't that wouldn't have otherwise engaged and also it was, it was that or the 17th family zoom that month yeah. and they were like do you know what oh another pub another zoom quiz yeah <laughs> and, and also actually another advantage of it was that we i think there were drawbacks to doing it online you missed that personal connection people weren't able to build relationships over grabbing a coffee they weren't able to have that conversation with us that you might have at the end of a session and we had to do it in a very different way but that being said, there were single parents that I'm fairly certain that would not have engaged um, because they wouldn't have been able to make the travel um, or have their kids sitting on their knee while they were doing it. So I think it actually it kind of it kind of helped the process. Um, but in terms of what we learned, actually, I think the really interesting thing was like just how optimistic people were about the future and that that they what they it you know there was a real sense of optimism. And a sense that we could do this, and that, that that's that's the thing that kind of surprised me, um, but uh, but without taking to it too generic, but like as long as we all work together to do it, but there was a real sense of like we can do this, but we know that you know, here are the following things we need to do to achieve it. But I think it was the optimism that really struck me and really surprised me. So you um, didn't you thought people would just be like ass ah, or buggered? You were quite surprised. I'd be so I'm quite surprised to hear that actually that when you ask random people about climate change, they're kind of optimistic about it. Maybe it's more about like they they, they were optimistic. Uh, they want they they wanted an optimistic vision of the future. So, yeah. like I think people were quite taken aback about the scale of the change. And I think the key thing to, we were talking about how we recruited people. I think we always need to remember that they were representative when they went in. They weren't representative when they came out because most people hmm. have not gone through twenty over twenty hours worth of discussion or right. heard from experts from across the spectrum on what the problem is and what we need to do. Um, which is kind of half the point of doing it, I suppose, like to show that if you give people information, then actually they can have some pretty sensible things to say and they won't just scream at each other. Exactly. And uh, but it also presents a challenge, which is bearing in mind that, yes, we can provide with people more information. And that was probably one of the biggest things that came out for every jury. They want more information for the public. They want greater education. They want people to hear what they heard. But it's also a challenge because we know that we can't sit down with it's always that thing about like we've we've had in the past about labor leaders is that they're not great on tv but if they could just knock on every door in the country they'd be bloody yeah. great in person like you can't hold a citizen's jury with every with every person so how do you translate what we've learned into that kind of that you know the, the kind of more high level communications and stuff that we need to do in order to inform people so there's a challenge there as well i guess oh ralph how i envy your optimism there is no Springfield 50 years in the future with global warming. So when you talk to people about, like, the planet being buggered and stuff, what's, what is it that really gets them going and really excites them? Is it wind turbines everywhere? Is it green jobs? Or what is it? I think the thing that really struck us was just people's attachment to nature. And I think there was a, there's definitely a pandemic-related thing to that. So I think locked indoors, uh, you know, for months on end, uh, pubs closed and all the rest of it, like people just appreciated the, the well, in some cases very limited in some cases more extensive access to green space and 
it, it, I think it is definitely going to inform, it informed the report, it informed all the work that we've done, it informed the final report of the Commission, but it will definitely inform our work going uh, in future because people, the way in which people talked about na nature, it really motivated them, it really activated them, they were so attached to it. You know, we got that we had them taking photos of their favourite bit of local nature and it really varied. For some people it was literally just their tree-lined street, for other it was like the peatlands that, that kind of, that, that you know, that, that they had near them or uh, their local park. It was, but it was, it was really phenomenal, it was really interesting and I, it was one of the biggest insights actually that just the strength of attachment and that for some people emissions and all the rest of it kind of felt very distant but actually they can, nature is something that they can see and feel and I think it's something we should think a lot harder about because I think a, that obviously we know that the nature crisis is just as serious. Um, but if we talk about both together, it might be a way, a frame or a way to talk to people about it and activate them. So interesting. So in people's heads, it's not like a separate thing, because I think we're probably guilty on the babble of doing it. And I'm sure loads oh, of people are. I've kind of saying like, well, there's a climate change problem and a nature problem. But most ordinary punters are just like, I love nature. I want to save the planet. It's all the same thing. It's like, is that right? Yeah, I think so. I think I think they... Well, I don't I don't know whether people necessarily know that if you do X or Y on nature, like, you know, you restore peat. I mean, they did by the end of the jury, but uh, you told them. That, <laughs> you had banged but, on at length about <laughs> peat by the end of the jury. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Um, but I, they, they definitely they, they definitely see the connection. How strong it is, I don't I don't I don't know um, necessarily. But I think it's definitely it's a really good way into talking about the problem and just the strength of attachment and people really really cared about it it really mattered to them do people really want stuff to be fair or is it just what they say when you get them in a room and they've got to be nice and so they say that they want stuff to be fair. Like, how do you actually know what people really think about fairness? Are you suggesting that people just want things to be unfair? Well, it's not that... <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> it's not that so much, but, like, people might want, for example, other people... You know, let's not have the poorest to pay all the bills for this stuff, right? And that's fine, and that's a nice thing to say. When you specifically ask them, do you think the poorest should pay for all this stuff? They'll go, no, I don't. Don't be daft. I'm not a fascist, right? But to what extent do you think people really want climate policy to be fair or they just kind of want it done and they don't really care? So we we didn't... So I think it's important to say that we we didn't define fairness for them. They defined it. So that it would have been right. a juror that would have first said, we need to protect people on low incomes and then other people would have would have agreed with that so but I take your point that like you know when it comes down to it I think I think that's fair and I think kind of that's where the you know the reality meets the politics to a certain extent which is in some respects like a, a lot of what we talk about or what we found is that people want it to kind of benefit them in their everyday lives which we know that actually done well action and to address the climate nature crisis can do that it can create jobs across the country it can lower people's fuel bills. Um, it, you know, it can clean up people's air, um, you know, improve their well-being. There was a lot of stuff around nature and you know how that could improve people's kind of mental and physical well-being, and, and it was surprising about it. Actually, it came across really strongly. Um, so I do, I do think people care about it. If eighty percent of people say they care about the climate crisis, I think it's fair to say that within that, 
there's a lot of different groups about that prioritize it at different levels and some people will not prioritize it unless it's benefiting them in their everyday lives and mm. that came that couldn't have come across more more clearly but also people recognize i mean i don't they didn't use the word holistic but people made all sorts of connections in the uh, although i have now um um <laughs> sorry we'll give you hang on we'll just give you a little clap yeah. for that in south wales valleys actually i think people would have been quite surprised that um one of the key things that came out from what they were saying was we want to see people to be able to live a good life without owning a car. They didn't want to have to rely on a car to travel everywhere. They actually, yeah, yeah, they didn't want it kind of the option taken away, but they wanted to be able to have access to good public transport and that kind of thing. And they recognised that by investing in public transport, investing in active travel, actually, uh, and things like 20 minute neighbourhoods, um, Sorry, it's another, that's another, you know, where people can... What's that, what's that mean? Like, so you, wherever you are, you can get, you can walk everywhere in 20 minutes and get all the stuff you need. Yeah, like, you, yeah, like a reasonable level of services. And obviously it works better in some areas than others. But, you know, they, and to them, that was, that would, that would have been a fair response because you're dealing with the things that they care about and that are problems in their own lives. There's a woman in the jury, jury in Wales, Katie, who has had to move to Cardiff in order to get the job that she wants and didn't want to. And they talked about that. They didn't what they talked about not having to move away. And actually, there's a big there's a strong link there between investing in communities that will benefit the people and also tackle the climate and nature crisis at the same time. That's what fairness looks like there. But it was, you know, it was different in Thurrock. They wanted different things and their conception of fairness was different as well. And who was it said they want all the buses to be free? Or was that your idea? Uh, well, that was our idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that was our response to kind of the... Um, uh, yeah, so one of our big ideas was that um, uh, local public transport should be should be kind of free at the point of use. Um, and Of course, it's just one of those things that's such a no-brainer, isn't it? It's yeah, like, like totally. yeah. see all them buses, just make them free. Then everyone's going to use the buses. And they'll be Do brilliant. That. And they'll, yeah. And then you'll have less people in cars, so the buses will be even better because they're not getting held up behind cars, and it won't cost that much money. Like, it's such a good idea. <laughs> Why isn't it a thing? And also, it's like I think uh, someone in my team will tell me I'm not remembering, but like, it's—is uh, it 300 cities or 300 places around the world where it's in place already? That city, you know, it's already—it's already happening. It's not a kind of like mad pie in the sky. It can work, and as you say, it's not actually that—it's um, not actually that expensive. Um, and it's a really great way to shift, you know, people from, you know, depending on their car to, you know, I mean, the other thing is that we also talk about in the report is you need to extend the services. It's not just about making existing buses free. You need to make sure there's a consistent, reliable service in rural areas and things like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, yes, the idea of it being free didn't come from them, but they were definitely certain that it needed to be cheaper than it is now and it needs to be more affordable and accessible. And haven't you got a bit of a problem with a report all about how you should do environmental justice policy making, which is that the Tories are in charge? Isn't that a bit of a problem? Like, what do you expect? Okay, and obviously I'm being a bit silly here, right? But like, how much, I suppose the more serious version of the question is how much of this do you actually expect the government to pick up and run with? Like, they're not about to make all the buses free, are they? For example. Well, the, uh, the government have, have moved on. I mean, I think there are probably areas of the, of the agenda that I think are probably more radical than than maybe as uh, this government might have the appetite for. But I think the central message of the report, or one of the central messages of the report, is that 
we are not if, if the government is serious whichever government is but including this government is serious about net zero they're not going to get very far unless they deliver a transition that is fair and you know we've seen with the gilet jaune process and and other protests around the world around different policy that areas. was the thing the thing in france when people um protested about carbon taxes that was it yeah. Exactly. And like in a very French way, they didn't just sort of like slightly protest about the carbon tax, right? There was lots of setting things on fire. And yeah, no, they really, went, they really went to town. <laughs> yeah, and but so I think it happens surprisingly often, right? People just think don't think about all the objectives or the, all the things you should be thinking about, and then you end up with a badly designed policy, you end up with a backlash, and then you undermine the whole agenda. So yes, you can adopt parts of what we've argued for to a greater or lesser extent, but I think we would argue that it's not going to succeed unless you. And you're seeing this now, right? So Steve, you know, there's a there's a government MP, Steve Baker, who is doing a whole campaign mm, around the cost of, exactly the cost of net zero, and I think we would argue that there are a set of people, climate delayers, who are using it as a, as a as a reason to delay the transition rather than having a real concern about whether the transition is fair or not. So, but it's it's clear that they're right in one sense that people aren't going to put up with it if, you know, at the moment, people don't know that they need to rip out, to, don't know that they need to replace their boilers um, and they're going to be asked to pay thousands of pounds to do something they don't even know what the purpose of it doing. You know, it's just not going to fly. So... They need to be supported to do that. They need to be provided with the loans and the support in order to, in order for that to happen. That will make it a fair process. And they need to be given fair time to do that. Um, I think the government can and must engage in that. And then you could go one step further, levelling up, if they're serious about that, tackling regional inequalities, delivering on the climate and nature crisis can also tackle that. But I accept that there is, yeah, recommendations in there that might not be to their, to their taste. Hi, I'm Arabella, and you're listening to Sustainababble. Was any of the stuff that came out of the juries, or from the jurors rather, like, did you really not agree with it? Did, were you having to write it down or, 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 you know, kind of build it into your recommendations and think this is bullshit? This is a terrible idea. <laughs> I can't believe. Why do we give these people an opinion? This is a terrible opinion. Um, I don't think there was, actually. Um, I've been asked this a few times, like, what was the most surprising thing? And I, I guess we covered it a bit on the kind of the optimism stuff earlier. I mean... I, I think that some of the jurors, juries got were, were, got very, very local. But then that was kind of the point of it, right? So they were talking about very... Um, but I thought that was a, in, that in itself was an interesting insight into the politics. So they were very focused on things like litter. They were very focused things on things like fly tipping. Uh, they were very focused on, in some cases, how not so great their local council was. And they weren't shy of, uh, saying, uh, of, shy of saying that. Um, and... I, I think that probably one of the most challenging things actually was, that, you know, in Thurrock, it's a big housing growth area. My background's in housing. Um, and this is always a tension when I think with housing and the environment, you know, they need to build homes for the next generation. And But what does that mean for uh, the environment? Um, I, I think they had some pretty kind of um, firm views on development and the number of homes that needed to be built and that kind of thing. I, 
yeah so I, I but no i don't think there was anything we ended up writing they were like god we don't agree we don't agree with this um it's i think the one thing that one of the things we that, that we found was actually that a lot of the public are much bolder than politicians would give them mm. credit for um and yeah are willing to go further provided the right you know it's done in the right way did anybody say yeah i'll tell you what we should do smash capitalism that's what we should do and you were like i see we don't think the government are going to buy that can we reword that perhaps to uh introduce a marginal rate of tax that gently disincentivizes the most polluting industries (laughs) you're suggesting we were kind of just uh moderating uh like third weighing our uh (laughs) i I guess what i'm more interested in is like when you talk to people about this do they how many people go well the whole system is clearly screwed like i'm not interested in tiny little changes what obviously what we need to do is smash everything and start again was that a theme that came up yeah there were there were definitely people in the in in different juries that were like capitalism is the problem Hmm. um this system isn't going to work so i think a few people called for like you know nationalizing industry uh there was one juror in particular that was really keen on that i think in in Aberdeenshire and Aberdeen and it was like, you know, if the companies aren't going to do it, we just need to get, get on with nationalising them. Um, but in the end, they had to work with their other reviewers to come to a consensus view because that was, that was the, but, but their views were accounted for in the reports and, um, you know, there's whole reams of stuff about some of the comments and some of the things that different people raised. But yeah, there, were, there, was, a real spec- there was a real spectrum of views and there, there were people that kind of fundamentally disagreed with the role of electric vehicles and thought hydrogen was absolutely the way to go and it's the only thing that they would kind of focus on. No way. No way did people get all geekily excited about precisely what way you should power a car. No way. I mean, they really did. Uh, no, no, then, I was being sarcastic. <laughs> yes. oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> you know, a lot of the other jurors thanked them for it because they learned a lot about I learned a lot about it, but it didn't yes. mean that. Yes, thank you, Nigel. Yes, <laughs> thank you very much. You know, we we've heard you, Nigel. Yeah, thank you again. Thank you again, thank, Nigel. Thank you again yeah. for that yeah. that point, Nigel. So, how can people find out more about the commission and what you came up with, and find out about you and what you're doing next? You can go onto the IPPR website or our Twitter feed and you can find uh, the video that we filmed with our jurors. I think it's really... Um, it's great, is that? It's good, really good video. Liked it. Uh, just pictures of me looking wistfully out the out, the, out of train, uh, train windows. As we... That's why I liked it. <laughs> the only bit you liked. Um, uh, someone said I was all, they, they thought I was auditioning to be Michael Portillo on Great Train Journeys to be his replacement. Um, uh, Insufficiently flamboyant trousers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this isn't a great answer to the question about where you can find out more about it. It's talking about me and Michael Portillo. Um, you can find, you go on our website, go on our Twitter feed. Uh, there's a, there's a, there, for those that really have the time, there's a 70,000 word report. Uh, oh, super. Uh, for, the, wow. for them that don't, those that have a slightly less time, there's a 10,000 word summary. <laughs> uh, Keep going. Uh, and then there's a digital report, which is much fewer words uh, and has lots of videos and interactive content. So uh, there's, there's different things with different tastes and time and appetite. Is there a tweet? <laughs> yeah, there's a. I think I've done a, like a twenty tweet thread. Uh, so yeah, that's That'd probably be. the shortest thing we've produced. And where, what's your tweet handle? How do people read that? Uh, it's Luke S Murphy, or IPPR. Good. Who's got seagulls going on? No, it's uh, it's my child screaming outside the door of this shed.
Right, that is just about it for another episode of Babbel. Thank you very much, Luke, for coming to chat to us and for doing a huge and enormous and impressive and important piece of work. Do go and check it out. It's the Environmental Justice Commission. You can find it on the internet and stuff. Uh, Thank you, Dave, for babbling magnificently as ever. Thank you to the Splendiferous Dickie Moore for the music that begins, ends and intertwinkles this podcast. And to Arthur Stovall, who does the logo what adorns this podcast. And indeed, our T-shirts that you can buy from our website, www.sustainababble.fish. If... If you would Oi! like to get in touch with this, you can email us at www. No. no. Oh, well, I didn't know that was going to happen. I wasn't ready. Hello <laughs> at sustainababble.fish. You can find us on Twitter at the Twitter at uh, the Babble Wagon. That's right. And you can just search Facebook for Sustainababble. There we go. I think this is a nice new way of doing it. We're going to keep very, this feature. Very good. Uh, that's it, I think. Give us a rating on iTunes and stuff. Give us money. Uh, the fairest thing you can do is go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Sustainababble and give us a few pennies. Thank you very much to the people who do. It makes a huge difference. It means I can buy things to replace the gaffer tape on my mic. Uh, well, that you will, re- because you're too tight. Yes, exactly. That really is it, I think, Dave. Yep, very good. I'm off to stand and wait for all the buses to be free. What are you off to do? Drink beer. Can't say fairer than that. (laughs) Can't say fairer than that. Okay, bye. Bye.